Odd Trails contains adult language and content. If you have a story to share, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. Enjoy the show. Forget facts. Forget logic. Forget everything that seems real. Just trust. Believe. Cats and Nurses in Jerome by Melanie My friends and I had decided to visit Jerome, Arizona for my birthday. Most of us are really into ghosts and haunted places. Some general information about Jerome, so you get the gist of it. Jerome has been called one of the most wicked and haunted places in the West. So obviously we had to go. We stayed at one of the most infamous hotels, the Jerome Grand Hotel. It used to be the town's hospital, and over 9,000 people have died there, not including murders and suicides after the hospital was closed and the hotel was opened. Now back to the visit. I had booked us in one of the suites, since there were a lot of us. It slept eight, and there were ten of us. The suite looked like a huge furnished hospital-slash-waiting room. It was great. Throughout the day, I personally wasn't feeling anything spooky going on. We went to dinner, did a ghost tour, came back to the suite, and continued the party. I was going to sleep with one of the girls in the master bedroom. My friend, who I was going to sleep with, had gone to bed first, and I was one of the last ones, as usual. The rest of us decided to hit the hay about an hour later. The moment that I opened and walked through that door, I instantly felt fear. Again, I was fine all day. But this, this was fear. I thought maybe it was because it was pitch black in the room, so I opened up a window to get some light. It didn't really help, though. I decided to just get into bed and try to get some sleep. That did not happen. I got into bed and immediately pulled the covers up to protect myself. I was scared stiff for the entire night. After a couple of hours, my body was so sore from being so tense that I tried to relax and let my muscles loosen. I was finally starting to be not so scared. I thanked Jesus for my friend snoring so loud because I didn't need to hear any kind of noise. I had just finished adjusting myself and I was lying on my left side. My friend then stopped snoring and adjusted herself, so she and I were sleeping in the same position, both on our left side. She started snoring again as she fell back to sleep and stopped moving. A few minutes after she had fallen back to sleep, I felt something on the bed. Since she and I were sleeping in the same position underneath the same blanket, the blanket was elevated in the middle between us. I felt the actual blanket being weighed down by something to the point where it was slipping off my leg. It felt like a cat had suddenly jumped onto the bed. I immediately tore the covers off, grabbed my phone, 
and shone the light in the area where it happened. Nothing there. Then I shone the light in the entire room and even checked my friend to make sure that she hadn't moved and was okay. She was still dead asleep and had not moved. I jumped out of bed and I left that room. I've had experiences before, but I've never been touched by something. I saw that one of my friends had fallen asleep on the couch in the living room, so I decided to just go onto the other couch and try to get some sleep. It was 4 a.m. by this time, and I still had not fallen asleep. I unfortunately ended up waking up my friend. I was trying to be very quiet and not wake her, but my clumsy self hit a huge pillow against a table, knocking everything onto the floor. She woke up scared and upset. I asked how she was doing out here in the living room. Her response was, not so good. She said that she kept hearing noises like knocks and creaks. She ended up putting one of her earpods in her ears. She didn't dare trust to put both in. I told her what happened to me in the master bedroom. She ended up falling back to sleep and I just sat there trying to get comfortable. As I sat there, I also started to hear the noises. There was this piano a few feet away from us and it sounded like somebody was knocking on the piano. But after that scary room that I was in, the knocks were not so scary. About half an hour or so after my friend had fallen back to sleep, she suddenly started mumbling in her sleep. I was about to get up and try and wake her, but she was still going after a minute or so, saying something along the lines of, Get off of me. She suddenly shot up and screamed, Get off of me. She then saw me and said that she felt weird, like something was on top of her. It felt like a cat was stepping on her. Another cat. I told her about how she was mumbling in her sleep, saying, get off of me. She had no memory of ever saying, get off of me. Even when she shot up screaming it. She calmed down and went back to sleep. Again, after about half an hour or so, she got up, asking me if I had said something. I had not. She said it sounded like it was coming from the next room, where our friends were sleeping. I asked what it sounded like. She said it sounded like a woman saying goodnight, see you tomorrow. Weird, as it was now the early morning. I eventually dozed off at around 5.30. I got maybe 30 minutes of sleep. One by one, my friends started to get up. Another girl who was sleeping in the next room came out first. Now this friend is special. She is very prone to ghosts and spirits. She has this intuition. She can picture the ghosts before ever actually seeing them. She's had so many experiences, so I was excited to talk to her and see how her night was. She said that the night was pretty good, but she felt like somebody was in the room with her. Not anyone bad, though. She said that she kept picturing a nurse. After she said that, my friend and I who were in the living room, we looked at each other, thinking, holy cow. That is what my friend heard, a nurse getting ready to leave after her shift, telling either a patient or a coworker, good night, I'll see you tomorrow.
My Wife Has a Doppelganger by Becca. My wife's name is Annabelle, and she is a very distinct looking person. As long as I've known her, if she is going in public, she goes completely done up. She dresses in a style that she calls Gothic Latina, always wearing black lace and frills, even in her more casual outfits. Her eyes are always lined with thick black eyeliner pointed upwards in a signature cat eye. She has distinct features too. All of this is to say, anyone who knows Annabelle can pick her out of a crowd no problem. This is why the multiple doppelganger sightings people have had of her are particularly chilling. Before she lived with me, inside their own home, Annabelle's family had seen her doppelganger at least twice. One day, Annabelle's sister and grandma were sitting in the living room when Annabelle walked through the front door. She didn't speak to anyone, but instead immediately headed towards the back door and out of sight. They eventually went to look for her, but she was nowhere to be found. When she came home through the front door later, they asked her why she didn't say hi and left through the back so soon. Annabelle was confused as she had been at the community college all day and never came home, so it wasn't her they saw. The second spotting in their home was more detailed. It was maybe nine or ten in the morning, and Annabelle's grandma, sister, and father all saw her come out of her bedroom and down the hallway. Her makeup was done, and she had on her favorite long skirt and corset. They asked where she was going, and in an angry tone, she sternly replied, Out. Then she stomped away, leaving through the front door. It wasn't until maybe an hour later, the real Annabelle emerged from her room, still in pajamas, no makeup on, and her hair was down. They asked her about earlier, and she said that she'd been sleeping because she had been up so late. There's also no way she could have come back into the house without them noticing. These were told to me as fun, spooky stories. We joked about it being an astral projection, a ghost of a relative, or just the family being easily confused. But then one day, I saw her doppelganger too. We had been living together for almost three years at this point, and had gotten our dog maybe eight months before this. She is a sweet, medium-sized brown dog named Emoji, and at that time I was training her. Part of her training was regular visits to the dog park, so she could be socialized and work through any discomfort. On this particular day, Annabelle and I had no classes at the community college, nor any work to go to. We were stoked that we got to spend some quality time together. Annabelle had an errand to run at the bank so we decided to all pile in our crappy Crown Victoria, and she would drop off Emoji and I at the park, go do her errand, and then pick us up after. Our Crown Victoria was a huge pile of junk we got for $1,000 off of Craigslist. It was in our price range when we really needed it. At some point it had been a police car, and it still had stickers explaining how to store police equipment inside of it. After that it was a taxi, 
so when we bought it, it had nearly 300,000 miles on it, and we had to scrape the taxi logo off the sides. This left it ugly, so I put a huge, cheap pink dragon decal on the side of it. This is important to the story because I promise you, there aren't a lot of gothic women in pigtails driving around in Crown Victorias with hot pink dragons on the side. Annabelle named the car Officer Jenny. Emoji and I walked around the park. We got to the end and at some point, we looped back around to the parking lot and I saw that Annabelle was already there. I saw the Crown Victoria, its crusty black bumper, and the window was rolled down. Annabelle's arm was hanging out of it, like she was doing a big stretch, which she sometimes does. On her wrist was the tan scrunchie she had on earlier that day. After stretching, her hand did a come-hither motion. I assumed she had seen me and was motioning me over. Ready to leave, I reached for the leash, and I don't have it. I realized I must have dropped it while we took a break under a tree, so Emoji and I walked back to retrieve it. When we got back to the parking lot, I looked for our car and didn't see it. It wasn't parked where I saw it moments earlier. I looked around for a second, and then I called Annabelle immediately asking where she moved the car to. Confused, she says, I'm just now leaving the bank. I haven't gotten to the park yet. This scared me, and I explained to her what I saw. We were both kind of spooked, but eventually we laughed it off. The doppelganger not only copied Annabelle's appearance and body language, but also our unique and ugly vehicle. It was unmistakably Officer Jenny. However, it wasn't until a bit later I realized I had not actually seen Annabelle's face. Just the beckoning hand. It looked like her hand, a hand that was so familiar to me. I didn't question it at all. Maybe I should have. I wonder if the entity used up a lot of energy to create the illusion of the car and maybe that's why I never saw her face. I'm not sure what these mimics are, but we all naturally get the feeling that they're harmful and should be avoided. That's a natural instinct we should pay attention to. I think there must be something else watching out for me, though. My dog and I would have left with whatever that was if I hadn't somehow dropped the leash. Something made sure I didn't leave that day with the doppelganger, and for that, I am grateful. But I hope I never see Annabelle's doppelganger again. In other words, let's not meet. My first submission by Tamara. I'm the youngest of three. Mom left when I was seven, so our dad raised us. My older brother, who is the middle child, passed away in 2011 at the age of 30. Our dad was getting older, 
and he previously had a heart attack. My brother was the one that took him to the emergency room and saved his life. So losing my brother was very hard on us, especially on our dad. My older sister and I were concerned with his health, so we asked him to go see his cardiologist because dad was having some breathing issues and such. He was a heavy smoker for over 40 years. Dad came back and told us that the cardiologist gave him five years. He had congestive heart failure. His heart was only functioning at 25%. Dad made it to four. I remember the day. I was sitting in my car at the airport in Fairbanks, Alaska. It was such a cold September afternoon. I was waiting to pick up my husband, who worked on the North Slope, which is our oil fields. When the call came in, I saw who it was, and I knew right then and there. He was gone before I answered. It was the day before our daughter's birthday, and the day of her party. A few days later, my sister was in town, and we made all of the preparations. The day of the funeral, it snowed. That was normal for Alaska, but not for the end of September. We typically don't get snow until the second week of October. But that day, it dumped. Four to five feet in a couple of hours, and it wasn't stopping. We had to get ready for the funeral with no power. My husband, my nephew, and I get into our truck and drive to town and down the unplowed roads. I turned on the radio because I needed something to fill the air to keep my mind off of what was coming ahead. I flipped through radio station after radio station, but it was all static. When I finally came across one, it was playing Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band. Night moves. One thing about my dad is that he worked out of town for four days a week. When he came home on his Friday, which was a Thursday for me, he would blast Bob Seger until the wee hours of the morning. He loved this band. I was, of course, shocked, and after that song came another Bob Seger song, and then another. The whole ride to the funeral, it only played Bob Seger. I knew right away that it was Dad letting me know that he was there and doing okay. At the funeral home, the power worked, and everything was going great, until his friend of 30 years stood up and gave his eulogy. He said something funny, and the power flickered. We all laughed because we somehow knew that it was Dad laughing along with us. It's been eight years since he passed, and I miss him, but I know he's in a better place and looking over his daughters. My Grandparents' Basement by Lindsay This is the only supernatural experience I've ever had. Or more specifically, it's the only one that I cannot rationalize away with some sort of explanation. During 2020, like most people, I lost my job during lockdown. My parents' home where I had been living filled up quickly. 
My brother moved back home, and between him, my two other siblings, and my mother's father, there just wasn't a bed for me. Luckily, my father's parents lived very close, and being the doting grandparents that they are, were more than happy to open their home to me. I lived in this lovely guest bedroom in their basement, and spent my days helping them around the house and playing The Sims. All they asked of me was to keep my space clean, and to join them for Bible study at night. It was nice. One day I was down in my basement bedroom, with my door wide open. I was folding my laundry and listening to music, when I saw my grandpa pass by to walk into the storage room, the door to which was right across from my bedroom. I looked up to greet him and see if I could help with anything, but I didn't see my grandpa. Instead, what I then saw was a tall, dark, human-shaped shadow in front of the door to the storage room. When I looked up at it, it remained still for about a second, Maybe less, but it was definitely long enough for me to register what I was seeing. It wasn't my eyes messing with me, or some trick of the light, and it wasn't the shadow of something else. There is absolutely no way. Then it moved, and became this weird blur, and suddenly was gone. I freaked out and ran upstairs to my grandparents who promptly laughed at me and invited me to have lunch and frozen yogurt. I placed a copy of the Bible in front of my bedroom door and didn't sleep quite as well for the rest of my time spent living with them. The Man in My Parents' Room by Corey. When I was a kid, probably around six or seven, my family lived in a little mobile home on a dead-end street. When you came through the front door, you walked directly into the living room, with the kitchen on your right, and to your left was a long hallway that ran the length of the rest of the trailer. With mine and my brother's room on the left, the bathroom one door down from us, and our parents' bedroom at the very end of the hallway on the opposite end. For as long as we lived in that house, I remember being scared of that hallway, particularly at night. When the lights were off and the house was dark, that hallway looked like an endless abyss. I have a lot of other stories about that house that happened in the dark, but this one happened with all of the lights on. There was a night when we were all getting ready to leave, I think we were going to see a basketball game or something that night. I remember that all of the lights in the house were on and my parents were in the living room occupied with something or another. For some reason, which I can't remember, I had wandered down the hallway and into their bedroom by myself. I remember crossing the threshold into their room and it was like all of a sudden there was no sound. I couldn't hear my parents talking, no cars going by, nothing. I remember looking down at the carpet and feeling so overwhelmed, the feeling that I wasn't alone in that room, 
even though I knew I should be. So I slowly began to look up over my parents' bed to the opposite corner of the room. When I did, I saw a man standing there on the other side of the bed. I had never seen this man before, but to this day I can remember what he looked like and what he was wearing. He appeared to be in his late fifties, very normal and unassuming in his appearance. He was wearing a long brown overcoat with a matching hat and an old business-looking suit underneath. He also had a large suitcase in his right hand. I just stood there staring at him, him staring at me. I have no idea how long I stood there, but it couldn't have been longer than a minute. The man looked at me, smiled, and tipped his hat. And that was when I took off running out of that bedroom and screaming to my parents, there's a man in your room. So of course, they go in and investigate and find no trace of the man that I saw or that anyone but me had been in that room at all. I never saw the man again, but I did find out many years later that the man who had rented the place before us had died in it. I never saw a picture of the man or learned his name, but he would have been around the same age as the man that I saw that night. Why is the attic door locked? By Justin. Please be advised this story contains descriptions of suicide. I was around four years old when this happened. Although that's a young age to remember something so vividly, I still do to this day. My family and I lived in the upstairs apartment of a house. It was my mom, her boyfriend, my older sister, my older brother, and me. We also had a cat named Fluffy. My sister and I shared a bedroom and a bed. In that same room was the door to the attic, which was deadbolted shut, with strict instructions from the landlord that it was off limits. This particular night, we all went to bed as usual. Nothing was out of the ordinary. My sister was sleeping on the side closest to the door, and I slept on the side closest to the windows. The windows in our room were a set of three put together, almost like large bay windows. In the middle of the night, I happened to wake up, but I didn't open my eyes right away. I was uncomfortable, so I was turning over to get comfortable again. Once I was on my side facing the window, I decided to open my eyes. There, about four to five feet away, stood a boy. Not a young boy like me, but a teenager, maybe 14 or 15. He also wasn't solid. I could see through him. And even though I could make out the color of his red plaid shirt and blue baseball cap, he was tinted a bluish-gray color, almost like static. I realized I couldn't see his legs from the knees down. Understandably, four-year-old me was terrified. 
I remember my mom telling me if I ever saw monsters at night to pull the covers over my head and nothing could get me. So I did just that, pulling the covers over my head and lying on my back. I stayed that way for what felt like forever. When I finally pulled the covers down and opened my eyes, the boy was standing over me with a knife. He cut me and I screamed. My mom and her boyfriend rushed into my room and turned on the light. I was breathing heavily and crying, but wouldn't tell them what happened. When they opened my bedroom door, my cat ran in and jumped on the end of my bed, staring at the window where I initially saw the boy. Her back arched, hair standing up, growling and not taking her eyes off that spot. My mom ran to me when she noticed my face was bleeding, with a cut from just under my tear duct, running about three inches toward the corner of my mouth. Now, you might think, your cat probably scratched you, right? Wrong. My cat was not allowed in the bedrooms at night, for fear she'd get locked in and have an accident. Not only that, but as I said before, She ran into the room once my mom and her boyfriend were inside. It sounds crazy, I know, but believe me, it's all true. Anyway, my mom cleaned me up and put a band-aid on my face, and she let me sleep with her that night. I ended up sleeping in her room for a few weeks after that. Fast forward a few nights, and I'm sleeping in my mom and her boyfriend's room. My mom's boyfriend had just laid down and heard something from across the hall in the bathroom. They left their bedroom door open for me, so there was a small amount of light coming in from a nightlight in the hallway. The bathroom door was always left open. He leaned over to look across the hall and immediately laid back down, incredibly shaken by what he saw. He was so paralyzed with fear that he couldn't even reach up to turn on the bedroom light. He then tells my mom, there's a boy hanging with a rope around his neck in the bathroom. He did not sleep at all that night. So another week passed, and I still hadn't told anyone what I saw. I couldn't even talk about it. Then one day, we're at the grocery store, and we run into my sister's best friend and her mom. While the moms were talking, my sister's best friend asked me how I got the cut under my eye. Since she was my favorite person at the time, I replied, The boy did it. She asked, What boy? And I said, The boy in my room. Later, she tells my mom what I said. My mother, fascinated by the paranormal, did some research at the library using microfiche readers, since this was the 90s after all. She found an article about a teenage boy who had died by suicide in the early 80s. He hanged himself in the attic of what was then his family's house, the same attic that was deadbolted shut in our apartment. I apologize for the numerous details, but they are crucial for visualizing the memory that still chills me to the core.
and I still have that faded scar under my eye. So before we get started, uh, we have to thank all of you so much for the numbers that we saw on our Spotify wrapped breakdown. Yeah, it was really incredible. Over 5,000 of you listen to Odd Trails more than any other podcast, and that's just for those who listen on Spotify. Wow. My phone was flooded with notifications of people tagging us in their Instagram stories, so that was a nice reminder that we aren't just talking to ourselves here. So yeah, you're all very much appreciated even those who listen on Apple Podcasts rather than Spotify. <laughs> yeah, it, it, but it has been a while, so I suppose it wouldn't hurt to ask again. Please follow us on Instagram or leave a review on whatever platform you're listening, just in case you haven't already. Yeah, that helps us the most. Yeah. I also have some of those really cool holographic Odd Trails stickers left over from last time. So if you send us a screenshot of your review, I'd be happy to mail you a sticker. And if you want to donate for shipping costs, that's fine, but you don't have to. And that's while supplies last. Don't forget that. Correct. I think I have about 50 still. Yeah. So I don't mean to abruptly shift gears here into something so morbid, but I wanted to touch on the story about the attic sent to us by Justin. Yeah, definitely. It's it's unfortunate that a lot of the most compelling stories feature suicide or even just an accidental death. Yeah. But I gotta say, I really liked that story. Yeah, same. I enjoyed it a lot, all things considered. It just checked a lot of boxes, you know what I mean? Yeah, we've got early childhood sensitivity to the paranormal. Check. The family pet reacting accordingly. Check. Eyewitness corroboration by the mom's boyfriend. Check. And of course, the historical ties that his mom was able to dig up. Yeah, totally. I found it really interesting that the apparition of the boy was translucent and ghostly looking, but it was still able to cut Justin's face. Mm -hmm. It really blurs the line between your typical ghosts who usually don't interact with the physical environment mm -hmm. and... I've got to say it, poltergeist activity. <laughs> <laughs> Man, we've been on a poltergeist kick lately, haven't we? I can't help it. I'm always thinking about them. That's a good point, though. Aside <laughs> from maybe demons and shadow people, physical attacks aren't super common in these stories, especially not from the ghosts of somebody who has actually been identified. That's true. And Justin, I know you probably don't live there anymore, but... Have you considered reaching out to whoever currently lives there and seeing if they've had any similar experiences? I know it's a little wild, but have you? You know, that's actually a solid idea. I mean, the fact the landlord not only kept the attic door locked, but yeah. stressed the importance of never trying to go inside is pretty telling. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'd say right back to us if you're willing to explore a little further, but I totally get it if you don't want to awkwardly reach out to strangers yeah. and relive that experience more than you already have. Yeah. However, I will say you might be doing that boy a favor by trying to get the house cleansed and helping him cross over. Mm -hmm. If the current tenants are receptive to the idea, of course. No pressure, though. No pressure at all. <laughs> no pressure at all. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, moving on to Corey's story about the man in the hat. 
and has the briefcase. That one couldn't have been more Are You Afraid of the Dark if it tried. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And we all know how much I love it when the story wraps up with some information about the deceased that completely validates the author's encounter. Yeah, we get a lot of those also on my other show, Let's Not Meet. A true horror podcast? Yeah, a true horror wow. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> how so? So the person in the story will get all of these red flags about some creep that they're involved with only to find out later that their gut was right all along. So mm. sometimes they'll have a history of violence and disturbing crimes that surface, or they'll end up seeing them on the news years later for doing something awful and their gut was right. Oh uh, yeah, I see what you mean. It's always nice to be reminded about how reliably accurate our intuition really is. Yeah, I still believe it's some kind of mystical special ability that we have inside of us, even though there's... Still some scientific theories about the brain's role in the whole process out there. Yeah, I think our sixth sense is much more than just having good situational awareness or high emotional intelligence. I'm a big fan of Jung. I've talked about him a few times on the show, but mm. I personally think his theory on the collective unconscious isn't too far-fetched. Oh yeah, I totally agree with you there. Good, good. Well, going back to the important topic of are you afraid of the dark, <laughs> yeah. it's common knowledge at this point that we're total nerds for 90s kids horror shows and everything yeah. else, but do you have a favorite or most memorable episode of the show? Oh, totally. It's uh, the episode with the movie theater where Nosferatu comes out of the screen. Yeah, that's a really good one. Yeah, it was my first time actually seeing any kind of portrayal of Nosferatu, and it really scared me, like, so bad that I couldn't even look at a picture of him without breaking into a cold sweat. Oh, my poor little tater tot. <laughs> what about you? It's not even that scary, but I really liked the one where that kid is playing pinball inside a mall late at night. Yes, I was and just then, thinking of that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then the game characters show up in real life and yeah. harass them. Mm -hmm. I, I think I just like the atmosphere of the dark and empty mall. And at that age, I always thought about video games turning real life or being able to implant myself into a video game. Yeah. So it touched on that in its own way. Yeah, I love Are You Afraid of the Dark. I love 90s kids horror stuff, man. It's, it's so much better than today's horror stuff. It really is. It's so hit or miss. I, I feel like I waste a lot of my time when I try to explore something new. And it's just, it's so cheesy and tacky. But when it's good, it's good. You never know when you're going to watch the next Hereditary. Then it just yeah. blows your mind. Yeah, you're right. You, you have to watch them. And it, the, the funny thing is, though, I always get so many recommendations from people because I have a lot of horror fan friends in the biosphere, I guess. And they always recommend all these new indie horror movies. And the thing is, when I check them out, I end up not liking most of them just because I don't like bummer horror. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't like depressing yeah. horror. Um, and that seems to be the way a lot of movies are going these days. It's just not my thing. No, I'm totally there with you. Yeah. Uh, th I think that's why we do this, this, uh, this, these talks at the ends of these episodes. It lightens the mood. It uh, brings us back to the baseline. Yeah, with a positive, a 
positive outlook. Anyways, thanks everyone so much for sticking around with us. Uh, all of the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. Don't forget, if you have a story to share, send it over to stories at oddtrails.com so we can take a look. And make sure you sign up for our Patreon over at patreon.com forward slash oddtrails if you want to get access to ad-free episodes, all at a higher bitrate, so it's the best listening experience available. And finally, make sure you check out the new episodes of my other podcasts like Let's Not Meet a True Horror Podcast, Welcome to Paradise It Sucks, and the Old Time Radio Cast at crypticcountypodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. <gasps> Thanks, everyone. Stay safe. Peace out. Don't let the ghosts and the ghouls disturb you, darling.